What's going on? It's Mark Malusa's Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Ah, yes, rolling right along. It is the Moose and Maggie Show, Saturday mornings here on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, uh, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227, your number to call. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. You've got Chris and Anthony across the way. Pete, with your updates as we take you for the next three hours here. A little condensed version here on this Saturday morning and a lot of things to get into. Good morning, Maggie. How are you? Moose, good morning. Yeah, three hours today of Moose and Maggie. How are we going to get it all in just three hours? We have a lot to talk about. And, you know, last night's game six of the ALCS was exciting and dramatic until it wasn't, you know, and and the game was fantastic. Pitchers duel Verlander dealing 13 strikeouts. And then all of a sudden, the eighth inning, things broke open a little bit. And now we get a game seven tonight. So, you know, for the drama last night, for the Astros getting up off the mat where their bats had been basically silent in Yankee Stadium for three games, they go back home, get a little home cooking, and they hang seven on the Yankees. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting tonight, Moose, because the Astros and the Yankees are not the only thing on the docket. And it's not the only game that's starting around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. No, there's a lot going on, you know, but, you know, and, and we get into the certainly the college football and what you're going to be watching tonight in terms of a, a Game 7 in the American League Championship Series or uh, a couple big college football games highlighted by Penn State and Michigan and uh, in Happy Valley in a whiteout, and you've got Notre Dame and uh, USC from South Bend as well. So you've got two big college football games, and, you know, what are you going to be perusing? What are you going to be watching later on this evening? And and I'll tell you, I mean, nothing, uh, to me, nothing is better than a Game 7, uh, regardless of sport. And this American League Championship Series has been a fun series. It's been fantastic, honestly. Uh, gripping television, fantastic baseball. Uh, you know, a back-and-forth nature of the series where each and every home team has won each and every respective game. Uh, maybe that changes later on tonight. You saw a home-home series between the Yankees and Indians before that changed in Game 5 where the the Yankees took down Corey Kluber and the Cleveland Indians. So we'll see if that changes tonight for the Yankees. Um, and uh, for the Houston Astros, they certainly feel a lot better about themselves after uh, posting the 7-1 victory last night in Game 6 to get themselves to a Game 7, Maggie. Yeah, well, this is just, it's been a better series than the NLCS was just because the Dodgers were so good in that series. And, you know, the, the Cubs were bad. The Cubs were just not what, what they were. They you were know? bad. They, they were bad. They, you know, listen, give them credit because they scrapped together a win, did not get swept in that series. I feel like that's a little bit of pride, a little bit of fishing line and duct tape, you know, kind of getting yeah. things together. Did not get swept, but... You know, it was obviously a Dodgers dominant performance. And so now the Dodgers punch their ticket to the World Series first time since 1988. And we're going to see who they're going to face tonight. And, you know, honestly, Moose, I know this is a huge, it's game seven. It's a trip to the World Series. It's, you know, Houston who, gosh, look at everything they've gone through. Not just the poor people in the city of Houston who's have, who have had to deal with the devastating flood and the after effects of it. This team that you can really get behind. It's one of the most exciting teams in baseball. One of the most productive teams in baseball in terms of runs. The offense has just been dynamic. 
You have the addition of Verlander. I mean, there's so many great storylines. Then, of course, the Yankees, the Baby Bombers. They're not even supposed to be here. They're ahead of schedule. You could have this great Yankees-Dodgers World Series where they've already met 11 times in the franchise's history. There's so much there. I mean, one of my favorite books, Moose, and it's not just a sports book. Book in general is, ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning. Don't have to be a New York person to like that book. It is so cool, and it's about the 1977 World Series between uh, well, Reggie Jackson, basically. No, the Yankees and the Dodgers, so great. And, you know, you have these storylines on all sides, but I'll say this. In college football, these games are huge. These games are huge. I mean, you're looking at the implications for both. I mean, for Michigan, for Penn State, obviously Penn State, you not only have Michigan, but then you look ahead to your schedule and you have Ohio State next week. You're trying to get through this gauntlet of your schedule so that you can make it to the college football playoff. Then, of course, Michigan is always exciting. And then you look on the other side, Notre Dame. I mean, after last year's just complete dumpster fire of a season, this has been great. I even think their loss to Georgia was 20 to 19. That's not a bad loss. They are strictly squarely in the hunt. But, of course, they are going to have one of the toughest schedules finishing out the season. And then USC, I mean, are they too banged up? I, I feel like I know that baseball could take center stage here. But if I'm a college football fan... I'm toggling back and forth between those two games because of just how much is on the line. Uh, Yeah, I I get what's on the line in college football, but Maggie, it is a a a deciding game in in Major League Baseball. I mean, so I'm not denying what Notre Dame has been able to do, and I think those are intriguing matchups, but if you're a sports fan, there's no two better words than game seven. Uh, I mean, that's really it. Um, And it's been a fun series. It's been an entertaining series. It's been a a good brand of baseball. It's been something that Major League Baseball needs, and certainly it's great for baseball to have a New York team involved, and you, you know you amplify that when it's the Yankees because of their national popularity and what their brand has been uh, for the sport of Major League Baseball over the course of uh, you know over the course of, of the the many many years in which you know they brought home twenty seven World Series titles. So. The, the Yankees are, are clearly, you know, one of, you know, the name franchises in all of professional sports. Although, can I jump in yeah. and counter that Notre Dame, yeah. I feel like, is one of those programs True. that could actually rival the New York Yankees. I remember when Pete Thamel used to work at Sports Illustrated, and he's now at Yahoo, does a great job covering college uh, football and basketball. He once said, he goes, there are people walking around today in this country who have Notre Dame fighting Irish tattoos on their body who could not find South Bend with a map. That's true. You're right. But, <laughs> I mean, well, that, for the Notre Dame fan out there, I mean, and you're, uh, you know, are you watching, I mean, and you're a baseball fan as well. Are you watching Game 7 of the ALCS? Are you more locked into, you know, Notre Dame USC later on tonight for the Notre Dame Yankee fan or a Notre Dame Astro fan, whatever it might be? Are you watching Game 7 tonight or are you watching the Fighting Irish against USC? I mean, let's be, let's, I mean, for all – Let's be realistic here. I mean, Notre Dame or USC, in all likelihood, neither one of them are winning a national championship this year. Uh, I mean, I don't. Well, I mean, not, honestly, they're but not making it to the college football playoff. Well, Notre I Dame mean, could. conceivably speaking, but I mean, are they are either one of those two teams going to beat Alabama? I don't see it. I, I mean, don't I really see it, don't. But if you you have USC, if they win this game, and God, the, I mean, if they win this game and they win the Pac-12 title, I think they could get into the playoff. And I think I think college football wants Notre Dame in that Final Four. More than the networks want yeah, the Yankees to... in the in the Dodgers in the World Series. Oh, I don't think that. No, there's no way. No, oh, I don't know. I don't think that. If All you're right. telling me right now who Fox is betting on tonight, I mean, would they love to see the Yankees and the Dodgers in the 
uh, World Series, East Coast, West Coast, uh, the two biggest markets uh, in this country. I mean, Maggie, Well, you do get it for more games, obviously, but if I'm a college football playoff well, if I'm ABC, I guess they have it, right? ABC, ESPN, they have it. I'm looking. I'm I've thinking already, if I get Alabama and I get Notre Dame I've and already USC, seen that national championship. Alabama basically wiped their rear end I was with Notre there. Dame. It was horrible. I mean, honestly, I've never seen anything worse. Right. I mean, it was one of the worst football games I've ever seen. It was honestly, I remember being there. It was in Miami. And I remember we had everything written and done. The whole postgame coverage was completely mapped out at halftime. Yeah, we I mean, sat was, and watched the second half. Like, what else should we the be game doing? It was here? over, right? I mean, that was the the game that you more remember about Brent Musburger eerily uh, trying to hit on uh, Catherine Webb. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I over think they're the married the now too, right? They are married. Yeah, they I, yeah, I think they actually had. I believe they had a child as well. So, nice. Good for them. Um, yeah, I mean that that's what you remember that game more so. She made than it into the else. SI swimsuit issue that year yeah, because I mean, of Brent. Was, well, because right. of her. But. Well, right, because but the popularity and and the notoriety after what Brent did during the national championship game. But Maggie, I'll tell you tonight, I mean, you've certainly, I mean, if you've got a multiple TV setup, you're set and you're good to go, but that's not the majority of Americans out there. They're able able to have that kind of a setup, you know, in their living room or their bedroom, wherever it might be, or their apartment. Um, I, I think you're locked in more so to the baseball than anything else. I think you're, because I think this series deserves it, Maggie. I, I do. Because I think Houston responded in kind last night. Uh, the Astros were one of the best teams in the regular season. They were the most. Uh, they scored the most runs. I think 896 in the regular season. Uh, Verlander showed you his mental makeup last night. I mean, how about Justin Verlander? 24 consecutive scoreless innings in uh, potential elimination games. Um, you know, in the postseason. I mean, that is remarkable. You want to talk about clutch and. Handling a situation, and last night, clearly, he did not have the same stuff as he did in Game 2 where he threw the 124-pitch complete game in a 2-1 Astro victory, uh, but that showed you a lot about Verlander and about this team. I mean, a Houston team that I think for the most part, after Game 5, everybody and their mother thought that the Yankees pretty much had won the series and were stamping the Yankees for the World Series and that the series was over and that Houston was dead as a doornail, and they picked themselves up and win the game stylishly last night where the majority of that lineup, which had struggled for three straight games, or really the first five games aside from Correa Altuve, they finally got going last night. I think those two teams have done enough in this series tonight to pique the sports fans' interest to where you're locked into a little baseball on an October Saturday evening. Well, I guess I would counter with this, and I agree with everything you said, but I would counter with, you know, that you said that this series deserves our attention for a game seven. And I agree. But I would say Notre Dame-USC, in terms of all-time great rivalries, also deserves our attention. I mean, there's a lot of history between these two teams. There's a lot of things and milestones we can look back to. Great games that they've given us where I feel like if I'm the Notre Dame or USC fan, I could come back and say, what about us? You know, we've been playing for so long and, and we could give you a fantastic game as well. You know what? I'm curious though. You said about Verlander and just how good he is. And and gosh, I mean, now you're just interested to see if he can complete it because the one thing missing from his resume is a world series. And he obviously came to Houston late in that trade, just waved his no trade clause out of Detroit, smart move and came to this team. But look at CeCe Sabathia, who's going tonight for the New York Yankees. And I feel like every time we've counted him out and expecting him to lay an egg, he has come through in the clutch. And I saw this statistic, so I had to say it. I want to share it with you guys. 
Sabathia 10 and 0 with yeah, a 1.68 ERA in 13 starts following a Yankee loss. Yeah. I mean that t- talk about the mental makeup of someone. No, I mean great. I, we were going to talk to Nelson Figueroa who pitched in the major leagues for 9 seasons and his last two in Houston later on in the show, but I mean that just speaks to you know we we have all these stats and you can quantify things any way you want to, but there is something about that clutch gene, if you will, or there is something about, you know, getting the ball after your team has lost a game, an important game, and having to pick them up. And the fact that CC has been able to do that throughout his career is amazing. Now, does he have the same stuff that he used to? Well, that was, no. and that was, you look at it, I mean, that's just this year. I mean, you look at the 10-0 and 0 after, you know, losses, that's this season, what CC Sabathia has been able to do, and he's been a remarkably good, um, you know, clutch pitcher for the most part uh, throughout the course of his career. So, but he's not in his prime. I mean, Sabathia is doing it a little bit with guts and guile, and he's throwing the ball 92, 93 miles an hour. He's not lighting up the radar gun, Maggie. But um, he is uh, hes smart, he's savvy, he's experienced, and he's going to need all of that tonight uh, down in Houston as that fan base is dying to get back to uh, a World Series and trying to bring a, a championship to that city. And, you know, you wonder about Sabathia, right? You think of how people's lives you know they're human beings they are athletes they're yeah. they're amazing but you know he did have to go to rehab not too long ago and now back he's referenced this multiple times through this playoff run just sort of changes in my personal life you know and I, I think that means quitting the drinking and yeah. I don't know for sure but you know he did uh, he did go to rehab and I think you know I've talked to him about it this was last season but you know he said it was the best thing that he's ever done gave him a new clarity and maybe it's extended his career and he might be able to pick off another world series ring because of it you never know. Never know. I mean, you never know, and that seven. is still on the table tonight. And the Astros are hoping to prevent that, and the Yankees are hoping to get there to take on a a Dodger team that's been really a lot of fun to watch all oh, season yeah. long. They really have been, and they've got wonderful storylines. When you think about, I mean, just think about the two co MVPs of the NLCS, right? You know, Justin Turner was non tendered by the Mets, a California kid, and a really good guy. You know. Uh, having interviewed him a, a number of times when he was with the Mets organization um, and ends up in Los Angeles with the Dodgers, a team that he grew up rooting for, and he's developed into this remarkably clutch player and a really good offensive player. And then you look at Chris Taylor, who yep. was not on the 25-man roster to begin the year for the Los Angeles Dodgers, is not only not is not only on the 25-man roster, he's a starter, can play multiple positions for you, and everything he hits – is an is on an absolute rope. I mean, Ron Darling pointed that out on TBS the other night, uh, watching Game Five out at Wrigley Field. He seems to barrel up everything and does not seem to be, um, you know, uh, in in a prone position to where he you know gets fooled on a lot of pitches. Um, it's a and then you get Yasiel Puig. I mean, we, two years ago, Maggie, we were having a conversation. You know, is the the Puig era done in Los Angeles? And look how Puig has. You know, rededicate himself, refocus himself. Clayton Kershaw. I mean, Dave oh, about, Roberts. The job that he's done. Henry, Kiki Henry. Uh, ah, hello, Kiki Hernandez. Uh, yeah, and just an incredible story. I mean, his father is battling cancer last year. He beats it, and then you know, his home country of Puerto Rico completely ravaged, yep. obviously by. 
the storm and you know, uh, then he comes back and sets this postseason record, and he he couldn't believe it. He was in disbelief. He goes, are you sure? Are you sure that yeah. I have the record? And he said, <laughs> you know, I just want this for my parents who believed in me so much, and and they can all celebrate that and enjoy it. I, I just think it's phenomenal. The Dodger team, I mean, they're going to be favored no matter who comes out of the American League, and they absolutely deserve it. One more games than any team in the league. Did you hear that story that you mentioned, Kiki Hernandez, yeah. on me to cut you off, but no. did you hear that story that he said, uh, told after the game on game five about his mom? He asked his mom where he's gonna go, uh, where she was gonna go watch the game, and she said, "I'm gonna go to the ants." And he's like, "Okay, well, you know, make sure you watch." I mean, a lot. She's like, "All right, well, um, you know, just you know, don't try and do too much." He's like, "No, no, we we talked about this before my last star in this series, where I was just trying to make contact. I'm gonna try and hit a home run." <laughs> yeah, right, one and, home run. Yeah, and and he went out there, and not only did he hit two home runs, including a grand slam. I mean. So that that's like the stuff that like kind of gives you chills and yeah. puts the hair up on the back of your neck. I mean that is that is kind of good stuff and fun stuff. And you could see the you know the overjoyed nature of Kiki Hernandez when he hit those two shots out at Wrigley yeah. Field. Yeah, uh, Paul Nanos, who does overnights here yeah. on CBS Sports Radio, the great Paul Nanos says, "Who's Maggie? Brett and Catherine got married. Wow, I didn't realize. Yes, we should clarify that Brett Musburger and it's Catherine Webb did not no. get married. It was no. AJ McCarron. AJ McCarron and Catherine Webb did get married. We want to know though. Look at I, Nanos listening. Driving I know. Home. Appreciate I mean, that. Look at, look, at that. look at the camaraderie. I mean, honestly, we um, love you, Paul. Who has love you, Paul? Who has the bigger profile nationally? Is it the Yankees or is it Notre Dame? I don't know. We want to hear from you. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. And if you're not watching Game 7 tonight, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Unless you're an Irish fan, and then you got to be dialed in. Or a Penn Stater or ben, Michigan. South Bend under the lights. 855-212-4CBS. How about a whiteout condition in, in Happy Valley? Penn State, Michigan. That's Penn State be a looking for a little revenge. Oh, no doubt. You, and you know they have long memories for the Nittany Lions, and they want to drub Michigan after what the Wolverines did to them a year ago. 855-212-4CBS. What are you going to be watching tonight? want to hear from you. 855-212-4227. It is the Moose and Maggie Show. Saturday mornings right here, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, your number to call as we roll right along. So we want to know from you, what are you going to be watching tonight? A little college football, a little bit of baseball. You've got... Couple big college football games on the slate uh, with Notre Dame and USC, a storied matchup. Penn State and Michigan, Happy Valley, whiteout in the under the lights. Or you've got Game Six of the Game Seven, I should say, of the American League Championship Series between the Astros and the New York Yankees. Let's head up to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It's Jay. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Jay? Hey, man, headed to work. I uh, just want to say, love y'all show, man. Really appreciate what y'all do. Thank you, Jay. Um, yeah, and I, I really love the question this morning. But uh, uh, maybe if Notre Dame had two losses at this point after what happened last year, maybe if they had two losses, ah, you might actually flip the channel back and forth. But, you know, if they run the table here and beat um, Southern Cal and NC State, Navy, um, you know, run the, run the slate here. Um, they're in the college football playoffs, so until they lose, uh, I won't see that first pitch of a, of a baseball game today. So um, it's all college football. It's all Notre Dame, baby. All Notre Dame tonight. You won't even flip over <laughs> to see the score of the baseball game. That's what smartphones are for. Not even during the commercial break, Jay. <laughs> Uh, I'll hit the Michigan-Penn State game right quick. No, So no, there'll be no baseball. baseball all day. Jay, it's a game seven. 
It's a game seven. And I appreciate that. But we're talking about Notre Dame and the college, possibly if they can run the table in the college football playoff. And um, and I agree with Maggie. Um, the sports networks, the networks, they all want to see Notre Dame. And everybody in America wants to see them in the playoff booth. I'm, listen, I'm not you denying. Wanna... I'm not denying the popularity of the Fighting Irish. Trust me. I, I yeah, I agree. With you. I'm not, de- and I I didn't discount that point from Maggie. But I'll tell you. I mean, the Fox executives were on their bended knee last night before they head to the pillow, <laughs> praying to pray the Lord above that the Yankees win the game tonight. So they get Yankees, Dodgers. They can play up the rivalry. They can talk about Brooklyn. They can talk about the history between these two storied franchises. It's East Coast, West Coast. It's L.A. It's New York. It's that's what they want. Yes, paging Vin Scully. Please that's exactly come to right. the white courtesy phone. Right. We're going to need you uh, to talk about obviously the connection of he wasn't a Yankees broadcaster, but the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn to go out to LA. Um, you know, I, I think Jay, I think a lot of people are looking in and feeling exactly how Jay is feeling. And then let's add a little bit of this. This is something actually, this is not original thought. Pete Mundo works with us at SI works here, CBS and other places. He really made the case that if Penn state gets through this gauntlet here of their schedule, yeah. they could jump Alabama's number one. Yeah, they could. I, I think Alabama's the number one team in the land though. Penn I mean, State's got the tougher schedule. They do, they do. But I mean, if you watch, if you look at the eyeball test, if you watch the two teams play, I mean, they could conceivably. I'm not going to tell you that Penn State's resume, if they get through Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, State Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, you know, Michigan, uh, and and get through Michigan State and Ohio State on the road, that is not. I mean, that that is a very very difficult road to hoe if you're the Nittany Lions, and they could conceivably speaking. However, I think if you look at if you watch the games and and the eyeball test, I, I think Alabama is a better football team. I agree. <laughs> I do think that. Let's head up to Boston. It's Paulie. What's going on, Paulie? Hey, brother. Um, Moose, there is two bigger words in, sp- in sports than Game Seven. That's Super Bowl. So that was, so so I would have to say Maggie's right. Uh, I'm not, I was born and raised in Notre Dame football, and there's more Irish, there's more Notre Dame fans throughout the country than there are Yankee fans. And I haven't said that about the Yankees. I'm going to be going back and forth. To those two games, most primarily though the Notre Dame Southern Cal game, that does give you that East Coast West Coast appeal to it as well that you did that you mentioned. Um, but I'm a Sox fan, and I'm one of those few and far between Sox fans. When the Sox get knocked out, the Yankees are still in it. I root for the Yankees. Those are my you guys are my brothers oh, and Paulie. sisters down there in New York. Honestly, I got more uh, common. Yeah, I, got people, I gotta go, Paulie. I, I gotta, no, you hung can't. up on him. He couldn't even explain it, himself. No, there's the, there's you can't you can't. There is no explanation. It's it's a unique there, take. You, you can't. It's you a can't. hot take. That's a hot take. No, you, you can't, <laughs> Paulie. I love you. I'm sorry. You can't call up, right? You can't call up and hammer home your point that you're gonna that you know that about Notre Dame and this and that. And then talking about the fact that after the Red Sox, and you've got the wonderfully thick Boston accent, which is as good as it gets. And and you, you tell me that once the Red Sox get eliminated, you move over your fandom to the Yankees. What? I mean, honestly, that, no. I mean, honestly, that's like when if you're an Auburn fan and Auburn's no. out. Oh, don't even you, say it. Then you transition to Alabama. Right. I mean, so honestly, Michigan loses tonight. Now you're rooting for Ohio State. Right. That doesn't. That doesn't happen. You you can't. You can't do that. Moose, I'll say this. You know, we sit here on many Saturday mornings, and I kind Paulie, of feel like you can't I can't do that. I feel like I've heard it all until this. <laughs> Every once in a while, our callers just. They just blow me away. I've never heard that before. No, I mean honestly, uh, you a, can't do a that. A Red Sox and Yankee fan. 
I've never heard it before. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, sign up to be an O-Rewards member today. Start earning instantly. O-Rewards members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, easy, and free only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Okay, I asked you guys on Twitter and out there across the country listening to Moose and Maggie here on CBS Sports Radio, who has the bigger national profile? What are you going to be watching tonight? Are you right. a bigger Yankee fan? Are you a bigger Notre Dame fan? Obviously, two very storied, historic franchises, and we're getting some answers here on Twitter. Our friend Aaron Nagler, good friend of ours, friend of the show, says the Yankees. There uh, you go, you Aaron. You got Brian Stever writes in, Yankees easily not every non-Notre Dame fan hates the Irish, but every non-Yankee fan hates them. And I think Brian is onto something. There is a little bit of hate watch, right? When when you're talking about the Yankees, maybe a little bit more than Notre Dame. Do you think more people are hate watching the Yankees or hate watching the Irish? Hate watching the Yankees. I don't know. The Irish can rub people the wrong way. Uh, let's see. ER says the Yankees. We got Wayne who writes in. He'll be watching game seven. Um Big John, sorry, Moose, I'm watching SC Notre Dame game. I'm a USC Dodger fan, so I hate both Notre Dame and the Yankees. I'll check in to see baseball score from time to time. Uh, A friend of mine, Andrew Rosen, says, are we talking 1989? (laughs) Which is pretty funny. Yankees, but it's close, says Terrence, so keep those coming. Uh, You can hit us up at Moose and Maggie, at Maggie Gray, at Mark Malusis. We want to know, Yankees or Notre Dame, who's your allegiance to? Let's head out to Dallas. It's Tim. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Tim? Good morning. I would say the mystique of the uh, L.A. Dodgers and the New York Yankees because of the rivalry between when the Dodgers moved to New York to play most of the past at Babe Ruth. We got Nick uh, Young, we got Reggie Jackson. Uh, these guys are going to play. Uh, it would be that game would take center stage because of, of the past match. Uh, you're breaking up. Sorry, Austin. Tim. We can't hear you too well. If you might want to get back to a, a better uh, area for cell reception, we'll put you back on the air. Let's head down to uh, out to New Hampshire. It's Scott. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Scott? Yankees without question. Um, I just think Notre Dame really hasn't been good since Lou Holtz. And, and why would you watch two teams that really don't have a chance to go anywhere? They don't. It doesn't matter how they finish out. They're nowhere. They're middle of the road. To, they're a B team. They're they're above average football team, but nowhere near two programs that are going to have a shot at winning the national championship. And seeing the Yankees Dodgers is, and brings you back to Mr. October and Bob Welch and all the games they had. That to me, that that I'll be watching the Yankees for sure. Well, here's the thing, Scott. Even if they might not win the national championship, first of all, Notre Dame did go to a national championship recently. They just got absolutely smoked when they got there. But they did have a good season. They're always relevant. And then you have USC, who I think is it's great that USC is, is back. And they have a quarterback who many believe, as we sit here on this Saturday morning, would still be the number one quarterback taken to the NFL draft. There's stuff to watch. Yeah, he threw three picks in the first game. <laughs> well, he's forcing it a little bit. <laughs> he's average. Yeah, well, I just don't see that. I mean, you, you, Notre Dame's big because you don't have to be a football fan. You still get the Fighting Irish um, tattoo no matter what. It's more <laughs> a nationality thing more than, you know, diehard. Don't get me wrong. They're huge. I, love, I, I watch Notre Dame. I just think they're, they're, both those programs um, have a long way to go before you're going to match a Yankees game seven. 
I don't know. I feel like, you know, they've been playing since the 1920s. You know, I feel like when you're going history and Scott, thank you so much for the call. I feel like you can, I feel like they're stride for stride. I mean, I know the Yankees history and I know how storied that is, but I feel like Notre Dame is right there when you're talking about going back to the 1920s. Right. I mean, that's one place where I feel like it's a push. If you're talking about legacy, you're talking about history. Scott also brought up recent history. Okay. Maybe that I, I can understand a little bit. But I feel like USC and Notre Dame are both trending absolutely in the right direction. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious what you guys are saying. This is this one comes in from Chris. He says, I hate them both. <laughs> Forced down America's throat, especially Notre Dame. Mediocre program with thoughts of grandeur. Is it just me? Were they not just in the national championship? I yeah. believe I went to Miami and right, saw but that they game. Have not, but, right, but there was more of a, a blip on the screen than they've been consistently dominant. I mean, they have not had what Clemson's been able to do for the most part, aside from the hiccup a week ago against uh, against the Orange, against Syracuse. Uh, they've not been able to have the consistent brilliance. Um, you know, they've always been searching uh, for that next coach that was going to deliver that championship. I mean... You know, they got exposed to a large extent in that national championship game that you were out, Maggie, uh, against Alabama because it was a night and day difference uh, between those two respective programs. So I, I think we I, I think we have, and, you know, maybe it's a case of the era of, of that you grew up in, the time that you grew up in. You know, when when I grew up and, you know, you looked at the, the storied pre- programs and the franchise, uh, storied programs in, in college football, you know, you always looked at Notre Dame because at that time they were on national TV each and every week. It's much, it's much different now. Everybody gets on national TV, each, but they they were treated a little bit differently. They had a national radio broadcast. They used to be on locally on WFA and in New York every single week. You'd hear the Notre Dame football broadcast. I mean, in New York, couldn't be farther from South Bend, Indiana. But that just showed you just how big of a national brand the Fighting Irish were as a program. They were just looked at and treated differently than I think than really the majority or every other college football program in America. They still Um, have their national – they're still on NBC. They're the only team that has a network that shows all of their games. Right, they they do. But, I mean, you can – I mean, honestly, you can watch every single – I mean, you can see whatever you want to see each and every week. Oh, I I watched that game last night between the Yankees and the Astros on Channel 400. Literally, Channel 400, Fox okay. Sports 1. <laughs> That's yeah, what I'm saying. That, that, yeah. It's, you have options. Right, I get what you're saying. Yeah, right. You, you do have options. I, I guess the thing is is that I, I don't look at Notre Dame now like I once did. I, I think the program has changed, not for the better. I think it's kind of devolved more so than evolved and gotten into where it's a case of they're a national title contender year in and year. Nobody talking about Notre Dame conceivably getting into the Final Four this year. Uh, before the start of the season, but I, mean, I think that's it, part of it, it right? Really didn't I think that's part of when you have a when you have a program or a franchise or whatever you want to call a college you know, program franchise with the Yankees, when you have them and they do have this long history that they can call back to and go back on, and and you have this just the legacies that they have when they do start to turn it around. I think the intrigue becomes almost double or triple because you get the nostalgia and you get the fans who feel like. They haven't had something great to root for in a while, and they get energized. Like, I'm looking at Miami right now as one of those programs. You know, Miami, with all of their storied history, fantastic football program, and they get the huge scandal. They're down in the dumps for a while, and now they're undefeated. And I feel like we want to see Miami good again. I think people want to see Notre Dame good again. I think that they like it when these historically great 
football programs come back into the fold, you know, and and I think it, it actually energizes people even more. We have Mike tweeting in, I'm watching Astros Yankees and I'm Catholic <laughs> with the exclamation point. There you go. Uh, my friend Andrew also writing in Michigan, Penn State will have better ratings than both. Interesting. Interesting. We're asking you, who's got the bigger profile? Is it Notre Dame or is it the New York Yankees? Let's head out to Michigan. It's Dan. What's going on, Danny? Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm a Michigan fan, so I'll be watching the Michigan-Penn uh, State game and then uh, also a baseball fan to be flipping back and forth. You know, there I'll be checking out the score of the baseball game. But Notre Dame is, uh, you know, yeah, they did play for a national championship a couple of years ago. But did anybody really think that they were the – one of the top two programs in the in the nation, even that year, I don't think so. And they, they were seem to be overrated. They win four or five games in a row, and everybody said, "Oh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame." Well, you know, I can't wait until they play Miami later on in the year, and hopefully, get their you know what handed to them. You know, I'll say this, and that's going to be a fantastic game, and it's it's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, let's not also discount that Notre Dame year in year out has one of the hardest schedules in college football. I mean, they always have a tough schedule, not just because they have these rivalry games with USC and Stanford, but they are consistently schedule huge. I mean, that Georgia game, that was a good game. Georgia's a great team. Georgia could be the second or third best team in the country. They could. You know? Um, so I would say that's also, I can't believe I'm defending Notre Dame today. That's really funny. I did not expect that when I came to work this morning that I'd be defending Notre Dame. Moose, we do have a little bit of a sports rewind, and this one is being dedicated to a caller from earlier this hour. Paulie in Boston, this sports rewind goes out to you. Hit it, Chris. Okay, Moose, October 21st, 1975, Boston Red Sox catcher Carlton Fisk hit a homer off the left field pole to beat the Cincinnati Reds in the sixth game of the World Series. With the game tied at six, Carlton Fisk came to bat in the bottom of the 12th inning. He cracked Pat Darcy's pitch hard to the left. He stood at the plate, bouncing up and down, flailing at the ball as he was helping an airplane land on a dark runway. He said, I was just wishing and hoping. He said, maybe by doing it, you know, you ask something of somebody with a higher power. I like to think that if I didn't wave, it would have gone foul. End quote. The ball bounced off the bright yellow foul pole above the green monster for a home run. Fenway's organist played the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah while Fisk rounded the bases. Unfortunately for Boston, the Sox lost the series four to three, four to three the next night on a ninth inning single by center fielder Joe Morgan. But it was on this day, October 21st, 1975 that Carlton Fisk get out. Yeah. yeah hit the foul pole, the pesky pole. And not the pesky pole. No, not pole. the pesky pole. No, down the left field down line. Down the left field line. Not Barbie. the right field line. And I blew it right at the end. And we no, see it at the hallelujah play. That's play. all right. <laughs> you know what? I think that this it's was... all about the effort. This was uh, also immortalized in the movie Goodwill Hunting. What a great movie. Great movie. And when you have um, Robin Williams telling the story about how fantastic in that movie. met his wife, and they're watching Fisk in the bar. Yeah. Stay fair. Stay yeah. fair. All was, right. Yeah, there you go. That's your sports rerun for today. Um, Pesky pull. What's wrong with me? No, it's all right. What are you going to do? It is what it is. Um, but, yes, that is uh, – and that was honestly uh, – it's been on a, uh, a lot as of late on on, uh, on cable, on the paper, on the, you know, um, pay channel. So uh, – but anytime that movie's on, you flip it on, there's so many good lines. It's so well written, so great. 
um, and so well acted when you look at that movie. And Robin Williams, you think about, I mean, uh. God rest his soul. Um, certainly uh, just a, a tremendous talent, a tremendous comedian, um, and added so much uh, on the screen as well. We're asking you on Twitter, who's got the bigger profile? Is it the Yankees? Is it Notre Dame? Nate writes in, it's definitely the Yankees. The Yankees have so many fans in away games they that they play in all over the country. Um, and then Sam writes in, though, great point. He says, I love that Penn State, another historical program, is back after their scandals. So we're talking about, you know, teams that are getting sort of resurrected here um, after they've been down a little bit recently, like yeah. Notre Dame, like Miami, and, and like Penn State. But you got a game seven. I mean, honestly, you got a game seven. And Paulie up in Boston calls up and they said, there's two better words in, in sports than a game seven. That is Super Bowl. No, I'll disagree because there is a buildup a beautiful buildup to a seventh and deciding game in a playoff series where you invested time and emotion, the back and forth nature, however the series played out to where finally you will have a winner tonight. We do have a Super Bowl rematch, though, coming up Sunday night. Patriots and Falcons. We should talk about that next. We will. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along. Hour number two here on this Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Hit us up on Twitter at Maggie Gray, at Mark Malusis, or at Moose and Maggie, uh, three ways you can go about doing that. You know, just cleaning something up from the first hour, we're asking you, if you're just joining us, you know, who's got the bigger national profile? Is it the Yankees or Notre Dame? What are you going to be watching tonight if you have your choice? And people are writing into me on Twitter, and they're like, stop it, or like, come on. No, are you serious? Can't be serious. I still don't know what your answer is. <laughs> Like you, you just like stop it. That's not even a question. Yeah. Which one? Right, I don't even. Right. Are you defending the Yankees or not? Well, make a pick. <laughs> I mean, make a pick. I, like I still don't know. I don't. I don't know what you're saying. Right. Stop it in terms of <laughs> it's, 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 got, it's college it. football, or stop it because it's, it's a case of it's the Yankees and it's a game seven of the American League Championship Series. Stop it. What reason? Stop it. Well, well why? What am yeah, I stopping? I don't stop know. What? <laughs> stop what? So I don't disagree. Tweet back in. Let us know. Just really funny stuff. Anyway, uh, we should talk about this big matchup and rematch happening tonight. Moose Foxborough late game, Sunday night game, uh, national showcase game, of course. And, you know, I was talking about this with a couple of my SI colleagues uh, yesterday, which is obviously the day after Super Bowl 51, right? What's the one game you would want to see? Clearly this rematch, you know, you want to see Falcons and Patriots biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. First overtime game in Super Bowl history. And I'm not sure if I feel as gung-ho about this game as we sit here now than I did, you know, the day after the Super Bowl. I think it was February 5th. So February 6th earlier this year, just because, you know, the Patriots, for as good as they are, and I still think they're one of the top teams in the AFC, I mean, the defense is just giving up really big plays. I think the stat was, what, six games? They've allowed every team to gain at least 300 yards on them, which is just not, you know, it's kind of crazy for a Patriots team just they haven't been able to figure that out even though I think they will get better as the season goes on and then for the Falcons I mean they've allowed teams to come back on them including Buffalo and Miami I mean what they were what they how they were laying eggs against both of those teams 
I feel like it's just really shocking. You know, I feel like Atlanta has all the tools and I'm not saying they're not a good team, but I've just been surprised by some of these outcomes with Atlanta. Well, right. And, and then the ability to finish off the Dolphins. Yeah. Um, you know, something seems to be amiss. The Maya, the Buffalo Bills at home as well. Both of those being home losses in that new dome and new uh, stadium down there. Uh, in the ATL, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to make of the Atlanta Falcons, Maggie, but I don't make, know what to make of a lot of teams in the National Football League this year, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or if it's a bad thing. I don't know. People say parity is great. I don't know if too much parity is is really all that good when you don't have dominant teams or a team to look up at. Um, clearly, I think Philadelphia has played well and deserves to be a 5-1 football team. The Kansas City Chiefs, even after their loss on Thursday night to the Oakland Raiders, where their season was on the line, I think have separated themselves a little bit from the rest of the AFC. But I would not say Philadelphia is great, nor would I say Kansas City is a great football team. I think they're good. Um, and the New England Patriots, the Falcons' opponent this uh, this weekend, is not great in any way, shape, or form. Um, but could say, well, nobody has to be great in October. We'll see if we get two great teams at the end of the year in Minnesota for the Super Bowl. It's all well and good, but um, to answer your question, long story short, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of. I, I think I have an idea of what the Patriots are. I have no idea what Atlanta is. I really don't. I don't know if it's a hangover. I don't know if it's a case of the play caller now with Sarkeesian calling the plays with Shanahan out in San Francisco. Um, Ryan doesn't look the same. They're not spreading the football around. Sometimes I think they go away from the run a little bit too easily. So there are issues down in Atlanta, and I don't know how quickly those issues will be resolved. Yeah, going away from the run. Where have we heard that before? I, yeah. You know, I don't Yeah, I guess you just don't learn the lessons that you think you do. Um, you know, it's funny about the parity, and I can't tell, Moose, is it actually parity that we're seeing in the NFL this season, or is it mediocrity? I, you know, you're talking yeah. about, I don't know how many great teams there are. I mean, listen, you're going to get a lot of eight and eights this year. And, and I'm not saying that you don't have them in years past, but, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to be the person who gets all down on the NFL. And, and that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. But I also can't tell if, you know, where, if it's mediocrity sort of disguised as parody, because you're right. Like this, this season has been kind of tough to get a handle on, you know, no team looks like they are totally going to be dominant. And, you know, even at the at the very bottom, I mean, you have a couple really bad teams. But, you know, I'd say like the San Francisco 49ers haven't won a game yet, but they've been in every single one of them except for their opener. I mean, the Browns are bad. We know that. A yep. couple, couple bad teams. But, you know, I just I can't tell if, if, you know, I think this is what the NFL wants in terms of a lot of teams bunched up and everyone has a chance. And it's always great when you have this part of the season and, and teams feel like they're right in it and and who knows what's going to happen in the division. They're all up for grabs. But I don't know. You're looking at the play. Is it really that great? You know? No, it's not. I mean, honestly, the play is not all that great. So maybe, maybe we are looking at, at mediocrity, Maggie. But if we are, people are eating it up with the spoon because yeah. the ratings have been good. I mean, and it's not been the drumbeat that we had a year ago with the ratings being down or the quality of football. I don't even think the quality of football is all that good, but people continue to watch, and uh, they're watching the, the national games. They're watching the Thursday night game. They're watching the Sunday night game. They're watching the Monday night game. Um, so it, it does not seem to be affecting viewership across the country, but 
I agree with you. I, I do think it's a relatively mediocre brand of football. We're going to talk to Richard Deitch, my colleague at SI. We want to talk a little about the ratings because we're seeing that the Thursday night game ratings were up, I think, 7 or 9%, yeah. which is totally... It's the Romo factor. Not, was it the Romo? We're tuning oh, in just, just yeah, to hear Romo. Yeah. yeah, I'll say this. He stopped doing the magic trick. This is what I was calling the magic trick, which is like when you see the teams lining up, he knows exactly where the ball's going. He's still doing a little bit, but the first couple games, it was like, ta-da! Like, look at what yeah, I can I know, do. I know. You know, and, you know... The, I mean, it's cool, but he does somebody, a good job. He I does mean, a great job. I'm not taking away from, him, but I'm glad he kind of has dialed back that sort of magic trickness because we don't need to know on every single play that you know exactly where the ball's going. Because you think about it, like if for certain plays, it's great, but and when the game's on the line, but you don't need it for every play. Like uh, the play-by-play person, the Jim Nance in this situation, he's responsible for the who and the what. Romo, as the color analyst, is responsible for the how and the why. And I feel like Romo was getting more into the who and the what. And you got to let Nance sort of take that. And then you explain why. So don't just tell me what they're going to do. Tell me why they're doing it. And I think he's gotten way better at doing that and picking his spots about when he tells us the future and what's going to happen before it happens. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. But, I mean, people are just mesmerized about when he does a game. I think people just it's can't get it It's the magic. Yeah. Like, see, the ball's going to go right yeah. here. He circles it on the teleprompter during that Chiefs-Raiders game. It's impressive. It is. It makes you realize, like, geez, he knows a lot more about football than yeah, I Yeah, do. <laughs> he does. And he's good. I he's mean, good. He's, he's a good at, he go, he's good at he's what funny. he does. But I think people are so mesmerized, Maggie, by the job that he does to where it, it almost, especially on social media, to where people That's just... That's an echo chamber. I, it's just like they, you go on it during a Romo game, and it's like people are like, oh, my... It's like almost like they've seen Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 amazing. It really is. It's like a come-to-Jesus moment. And it's like they can't people can't stop tweeting about Tony Romo. I get it. He's called a football game. It's great. <laughs> he, he, honestly, if Tony Romo didn't know what he was watching... And didn't understand what the defense was trying to do or what the offense was trying to do, then something would be wrong because he just stopped playing quarterback. <laughs> like a few months ago. Right. You'd be like, man, I've never seen that defense before. Be like, what? What were you doing down in Dallas all those years? Speaking of Jesus Christ, let's head to South Bend. It's Eric. You're up next on CBS Sports Radio. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you, folks? What's going on, Eric? Hey, Moose. Um, first, I want to say it's good to talk to you. I used to listen to you almost every night on the fan back in New York. Oh, thank um, I, you, Eric. I moved to South Bend a couple of years ago. But anyway, two points. First is Notre Dame football. So I get in my car after I got off work, and I hear that Michigan caller call in and say that, that when Notre Dame went to the national championship, they were overrated. If I remember, they were undefeated that year. Yes. Um, so uh, to say that they're, out, they're uh, you know overrated kind of ticked me off. That's why I called in. But going to this year, if they run the table, and I think five out of the next six opponents are ranked, you know, NC State, Navy, all them, they run the table. They absolutely have to be in the top four. Do you agree? Or? I'd agree. Definitely. NC State, Wake, at Miami, Navy, and then at Stanford to end the season. If yeah. you run the table, you have yeah, to let them go. In. Plus, you're listen, go. it's not like there's – this is not the Big 12. You know, this is not TCU having to make their case. This is Notre Dame. The committee wants Notre Dame in this playoff more than anything. And I feel like Notre Dame, even with – well, not with two losses. That's going to be tough. But if they run the table, they're in, no question yeah, about Notre it. Yeah, Notre Dame runs the table. They they're not going to – not with two losses. They're not, not going to get losses, in. Yeah. Uh, no, that would be tough. But if they went out, yeah, I think they're going to go. We'd agree with you, uh, Eric. We'd cool. agree. Cool. And um, back to baseball, 
Um, game seven tonight, I really don't have any interest because I'm a Mets fan. Um, so. Yeah, you're really t- stuck between a rock and a hard place there. <laughs> yeah, so you'll be all, all Notre Dame tonight. You're not. And... I'm worried about the Mets making a horrific decision with the coach here. I really don't want Kevin Long. It's kind of like rehiring Terry Collins, but I really don't want Manny Acta either. But, I mean, if you had to pick one, I guess who do you pick? Yeah, I would take long. I'd probably take long at I'd that point, long. just because you've seen what Acta well, can do. Right, and, and give another guy, inspiring. give another guy an opportunity. And and uh, from all reports coming out of uh, the Met hierarchy, is that uh, they were impressed with the way that Kevin Long interviewed for the job. Had a couple binders full of ideas. Ah, binders. Uh, yeah, dating back to all of his years as uh, you know a hitting coach and working the bench and working during minor league. So. And they've been impressed with the job that he's done. The guy that I thought would have been most intrigued by would have been Mickey Callaway, the pitching coach with the uh, Cleveland Indians, because the Mets are so defined by their starting rotation and trying to keep those guys healthy. And the way that some of those power arms developed in Cleveland uh, under the guidance of Mickey Callaway, that would be the guy that I'd be intrigued by. But uh, it seems like all reports right now are that Kevin Long is and Manny Actor are the two front runners, but. But Long might have have nudged ahead of of Acta uh, for the managerial job, and they hope to make the hire at some point during the World Series. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I feel like baseball managing hiring managers is it's so schizophrenic, right? I mean, you have guys like Dusty Baker, right, gets fired. He should never have gotten fired. He should not get fired. But then it's like Ron Gardenhire gets hired. I'm like, I thought we were going trending towards the younger guys. Yeah, right? but, Gardenhire, guys. but Gardenhire, to his credit. Now yeah, he's where... done a great job. Well, not just that, but to his credit, went to Arizona, worked the bench, yep. and also educated himself on analytics. Uh, on analytics. Yeah. So he went into it and kind of opened up his vantage point, his viewpoint to the positives to analytics and that, how that can help out a manager so that's where you go look at somebody who's not stuck in the mud. He evolved and understand the game was changing. The way baseball was viewed was being changed and made the necessary adjustment to get back on the horse and get back into the dugout as a manager. You know, it's so funny because I've interviewed Willie Randolph a couple times. I'm sure you have also. And he said the same thing. He's like, I've embraced analytics. I don't know why there's this, you know, sort of uh, I've got this reputation that I don't. He's like, I have. And he never got another job, which yeah, is which- interesting. But yeah, Dust- I'm not saying that Willie doesn't deserve another job. I agree with you. I'm just pointing out that Garden Hire no, made it. And I don't think if, Gar- if Garden Hire did not make that adjustment, I don't think he'd be getting that job in Detroit. Well, nor should he. I mean, that's the way that baseball has gone, right? You, but you don't want to be all analytics. Well, I guess you could be with baseball, but you don't want to be totally. You have to have a little bit of that experience as well. Um, but I'm really also surprised, like, uh, you know, it looks like Osmus and Alex Cora are now going to be like the two hot names as well. And, you know, Cora looks like he's going to be going Boston. to Boston. Um, I mean, would it not even. Okay. How many seconds? Not minutes, not days, not mulling it over for weeks. How many seconds, Moose, would it take you to decide between taking the Boston or the Mets job? Uh, how many seconds? I don't know. Is this putting you in a tough position? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, to be honest with you, I mean, it, it's it's putting me in a tough spot because I, you know, I, it's two places I love. I mean, I love Boston, and I grew up in in New York in right. the tri-state area. So, um, I did grow up a Yankee fan, but I'd have no ill or no qualms about managing the Mets. I mean, so I do think there's a, a positive to both. I mean, the positives about Boston is it's the you know it's the only show in town. They are and they spent. 
Yeah, and they do spend money. I mean, <laughs> that's listen, why I would do it. Yeah, I mean, the Mets spend money. They don't spend money like the Red Sox, or they don't spend money like the Yankees or the Dodgers. But I mean, they they do spend to an extent. They spend spending was not the issue this past year for the Mets. It's of who they spent on. Yeah, right. The spending I mean, their payroll was around one hundred sixty million dollars. <laughs> I feel like also though, I don't think they're going to be able to keep all these arms. So it's like I, I don't know. I feel like the future is still really, really bright, Boston. Not that it's not for the Mets. I understand this was a really bad season, but I'm going to say if you're going to ask me how many seconds it would take probably about 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Red Sox are the Red Sox. Yeah. But I, you'd have to also tell me, are they in the position that they're in right now? Um, and sure, right right now, I'd probably say that I'd have more confidence of Boston being a consistent winner than the Mets being a consistent winner. And that's what you want. You want the support. You want the ownership that is going to, A, spend money. You want to have guys coming up through the pipeline and the farm system to where you know you're going to get the necessary help to win as a manager because it's not going to be all just on you. You want to make sure that you have the necessary talent that you're rolling out there for 162 games in the regular season to win. Yeah. Listen, and you got a great rotation now in Boston. You got a lot of young guys in the, in the lineup. I, I don't know. Future's yeah, bright. Probably, now, and it's not that it's not for the Mets. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, probably answer. It would be the Red Sox. I mean, but Fenway walking into that building, managing that team. I mean, it would be that would be like a dream come true. It would be fantastic. We got wake-up call yeah. coming up next on this condensed version of the Moose and Maggie show. Call us, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. How many seconds would it take you to decide whether or not to take the Red Sox job over the New York Mets job? We want to know. We're back after this. This is the Moose and Maggie show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Moose and I have a serious conversation in the break. Yes, we were talking about Food Network TV shows. What are our, our favorites? Favorite. <laughs> and why I watch certain shows right. even though I don't like the host and I still watch. You think we're talking sports no. all the time? I'm like, man, I can't get enough Triple D. I'll tell you that. Late night, you get home, from, it's like mindless TV. Give me a little Guy Fieri at some... Uh, you know, some hole-in-the-wall place yeah, in the Milwaukee. middle of America, right? That's it. I really want to try the burger-stuffed pizza mushroom soup that they oh, have down fantastic. there. Fantastic, uh, yes. Down in San Diego. No, I, it's funny. I was, yeah, I was like, I don't particularly like Guy Fieri. His restaurant in New York got completely skewered by the New York Times. And, like this awful review. It's like Is it not still even good. Open? I have no idea. I, I haven't seen it. It's in it's in Times Square, which yes, it place is. I, I, I try to avoid. But uh, it's like I don't even like Guy Fieri yet. I watch the show. The pioneer woman is like, I, on camera, she's just terrible. I can't stop watching. I, right. I'm not going to make any of those recipes. I don't know why I'm watching, but I am. But you are. <laughs> You're locked in. And listen, I watch it. I flip it on. It's it's part of the rotation. Always see what's going on. Let's get to a little wake-up call. Okay, let's do the wake-up call. Hi, Maggie Gray. Okay. Fire away. Ladies first. My wake-up call this morning is going out to Oakland Raiders running back Marshawn Lynch. I mean, come on. What are you thinking? I mean, what are you thinking? Leaving the bench, leaving the sideline, rather, and sprinting, actually showing speed that we haven't seen you know, in a while, but showing speed, sprinting out after Derek Carr gets you know the late hit by the Chiefs, and he was actually not even going out to sprint to defend Derek Carr. It turns out he was actually going out to defend Peters, who's his friend from the Chiefs who he grew up with in Oakland. But in the meantime, it's as if that's not bad enough not even defending your own guy. He also grabs an official by the collar and basically not doesn't give him a full shove, but grabs the official. 
Yeah. And I just have no idea what could possibly be going through your brain at that point because it's early on in the game, and that ended up being one of the best games of the season. And even though Oakland won, it was by the skin of their teeth, and they really could have used you. You damaged your team there. And if you are suspended now for the next game, I know he is appealing it, but look at now what you've done with your bonehead move. And listen, everyone gives Marshawn Lynch a pass because he's funny, and he doesn't talk to the media, and everyone loves it, and he gives the double middle fingers, and we can't get enough of it, and he takes this, the the train, the BART train home or whatever, and uh public transportation he looks like he's robbing a bank like old timey style with his like the mask over his face i get we love marshawn lynch but put that aside i mean look at what you did and cost your team potentially if you can't play next week i mean that is just something that is so egregious and stupid i just can't wrap my brain around it and you know one of the worst rules i think in the nba is that if you leave the bench you automatically get ejected the nfl might end up doing that and making that rule because of what marshawn lynch just did so for Marshawn Lynch and for leaving the bench and then putting your hands on an official, which you can never do, you can never do that, you got to wake up. All right, my wake-up call goes to goes to Nike. And um, who issued this statement? The quality and performance of all of our products are the utmost importance. We are obviously very concerned to see any game day jersey tear and are working with the NBA and teams to avoid this happening in the future, Right. Now, if you don't know what I'm referencing, well, during the Cavs-Celtics matchup, opening night, Tuesday night, uh, LeBron James got grabbed by the Celtics' Jalen Brown, and what happened, the back of his jersey, down the middle of his jersey, splitting the two and three perfectly, split. I mean, split. Like it was Chris Farley and Tommy Boy wearing a small suit jacket, split. Now, I got to be honest with you. I love Nike products. They're great. I mean, they are absolutely fantastic, but there was no insight into why it happened. Nothing as far as what will be done moving forward. I'll tell you the redesign. Some of the redesigned Nike NBA jerseys are fantastic looking, all well and good. But the idea of an NBA jersey, especially on LeBron James, who's got like 1.5% body fat, uh, splitting down the middle of the back of him after he gets grabbed by Jalen Brown. I mean, it's embarrassing. I mean, if you if you're Nike, it's 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 embarrassing. So you can talk about how the utmost uh, you know it's the utmost importance, the quality of your product. It ain't working. I mean, honestly, it ain't working. And if you're gonna go out and issue a statement, make sure it's a little bit better than one you did. So for Nike, wake up. The irony is you love the shoes. <laughs> yeah. Shoes are great. I mean, the jersey is the jersey's garbage. It was pretty shocking. But, yeah, I think you're referencing the old fat guy yeah, yeah. in a which little Which is a great coat. scene. Which is a great scene. Richard. Yes, which is a fantastic. It's a fantastic movie. It's Chris Farley was a legend. Oh. I mean, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, uh Gone way, way too soon. But that is an unbelievable scene. And then the, the scene before that when he's, like, walking by the woman by the pool. Yes. He's like, Tommy, don't give her the weight room line. He's like, yeah. uh, do you know which way the weight room is? <laughs> that is. <laughs> A lot of people go to college for seven it. years. They're I'll, called doctors. I'll find it myself. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio.
Ah, yes, rolling right along here. It's time for our college uh, football selections. Uh, where are we at, uh, Anthony? Uh, what have we done so far? Uh, last week, Maggie was two and one, ten and eleven overall. You were one and two, Moose, twelve and nine overall college football. All right, there we go. Okay. Very nice. Big week. Big week. Let's get to it. Okay. All right. Okay, let's do it. Should we? Let's. Why don't we start little and we'll work up. To, to the bigger one. You want you to start it. with maybe a Texas-Oklahoma State. Sure, let's Okay, let's away. do that. Obviously happening in Texas. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oklahoma State, seven-point favorite in this game, Moose. In the Big 12, six teams are either undefeated or at one loss. This is a huge game with a lot of implications for that Big 12. Both teams looking up and behind it to TCU. And, you know, I'm asking myself, can Texas get that first Big 12 win? You know, can they get that signature win under Tom Herman? They've been so close against USC. They were close against Oklahoma. I don't believe they are going to be able to win this game, but I'm going to pick them to keep it close. I feel like Texas Classic, they are playing up to their competition. In some ways, they're playing down to their competition as well. Uh, but I think that Oklahoma State, a little bit shaky against uh, TCU and, uh, and Texas Tech. So I'm going to... Go with Texas sort of on the rise. Oklahoma State, not really sure what they're going to be. Mason Rudolph, you know, forcing a couple things uh, lately, forcing some situations, especially passing. So I think maybe if Texas can be opportunistic, they can keep this close. Long story short, give me the Longhorns and the points. Uh, I'll take Texas plus seven. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. We're going to agree on game number one. I'm going to take Texas. I'm going to take the seven points. And you look at it uh, this year. You know, they went on the road. USC lost by three. They beat Iowa State, who beat Oklahoma. I know different quarterback, but still, nonetheless, they won at Iowa State. They beat Kansas State. They lose to Oklahoma in the Big 12 rivalry. But if you took Texas in the point, I mean, you covered there. And they lost 29-24. So, Herman's done a nice job, and it's a talented Texas team. It's a matter of shaping that team in the style and fashion which suits him as a college football coach, which he is in the process of doing. I think they found themselves a quarterback, um, and I think the Longhorns can play, and I just don't trust Oklahoma State. I don't trust the defense. Um, I thought they'd be undefeated at this stage. They, uh, They got obliterated by TCU earlier on in the regular season at home. Um, I think that told you a lot about where Oklahoma State and the Cowboys are right now. So, therefore, give me Texas. I think it's too many points. I think Oklahoma State could win the game. I think Texas covers all day long. Give me the touchdown. I'll take the Longhorns. Okay, let's go now to Notre Dame and USC. We'll go to South Bend under the lights. First time since 2009 that both of these teams have been ranked coming into this game. Um Okay, I think this is what it really comes down to. It's going to be this rushing attack from Notre Dame, the Josh Adams, the Dion McIntosh, the Dexter Williams. How are they going to do, and can they take advantage of a USC front that is hobbled? I mean, both their starting nose tackle and backup nose tackle are both, you know, I believe out for this game. A starting nose tackle was in a car accident and now is in concussion protocol. So obviously very serious there. Backup has been out for the season so I feel like this is going to be a ground attack, and I like uh, Notre Dame to just keep pushing and pounding. Sam Darnold, for as good as I think he's going to be, also forcing situations. And Notre Dame has a fantastic defense. They have forced 14 turnovers so far this year. I think they could take advantage if they get Darnold in some big spots. So I will take Notre Dame, and I will lay the three and a half. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Notre Dame as well. Uh, I've liked them all week long, so I'm going to take the Irish. Uh, I'll lay the three and a half as well. I think the Irish are just a little bit better of a football team right now. Darnold hasn't played uh, particularly well this year. He lost a lot to the National Football League. USC did as a program uh, a year ago. Uh, you mentioned the injuries for USC too. Uh, but give me Notre Dame. Uh, lay the three and a half. I think they uh, they win the game by a touchdown and uh, and continue on their way of, of trying to finish out the regular season with just that one loss earlier in the regular season uh, to a really good Georgia team. Yeah, and that was one-point loss. Okay, final game. This is Michigan at number two, 19th Michigan at number two, Penn State. Oh, this was a tough one to pick for me, but I'm going to lay the nine and a half. I feel Ooh. like Penn State is feeling, first of all, like they want to get a lot of revenge for this, the absolute drubbing they got at the hands of Michigan a year ago. What was that, 49 to 10? Yeah. And I think that you are going to have a Michigan team where those um, deficiencies in the red zone, I think are going to cost them huge in this game. And I know the defense is good, but I believe Saquon Barkley is going to have a really Really big game. I mean, also, you know, John O'Corn, listen, got his first road win in terms of a start in his career as the backup quarterback at Michigan, and I think you probably have to feel a little bit better about that, but it's not going to be good enough, I don't think, to overcome what Penn State has going on. I think Penn State is a team that we are going to see in the college football playoff. I think between Barkley and Trace McSorley, they just have such a dynamic combination there. I think they're going to keep the foot on the gas. I think that is James Franklin's way to do things. Um, and while I think that Michigan, it's just it's just not their year, I don't think, because the offense just cannot get in the end zone in a way that they would need to against a team like Penn State. So I'm going with the Nittany Lions, and I will lay the 9.5. Um, I'm going to take Penn State, too. So we're going to agree wow. is, on all of our selections. No, we really don't. But I, I, for everything that you just mentioned, I like Penn State as well. Um, it's going to be a whiteout. They're looking forward to it. The Michigan offense isn't particularly good. O'Corn's not great at quarterback. Um, I think they can run it. They can't throw it. Penn State's been looking forward to this matchup for a long time after what transpired, as Maggie just mentioned, uh, a year ago. And I just think the Nittany Lions overall are better. They're a lot more explosive offensively. I think they can make some plays even on a, a really good or or very good uh, Michigan defense at times. But uh, I'll lay, I know it's a lot of points, yeah. uh, but they're home. And I think they're going to give you a really good performance. And I think Barkley could have one of those Heisman type of nights. So give me the Nittany Lions laying the nine and a half. Okay, so just to recap, Moose and I are both picking the same this week. All three games, we're both taking Texas plus seven against Oklahoma State. We are taking uh, Notre Dame laying the three and a half against visiting USC, and we are both laying the nine and a half points. Michigan coming to Happy Valley to face Penn State. We're in agreement this week. Those are your picks for week eight. I think college so. football season. Yes, the, we amazingly go. enough, we're already two months into the college football season. Uh, speaking of collegiate athletics, Maggie, yeah, did sure. you see the Patino interview? I did. What was your impression of Patino's interview with Jay Billis? I did not believe a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. You know, and listen, it got it went to the, some points where I think it sort of borderlined a little on the absurd quite frankly. And, you know, listen, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I'll go back to George Costanza's most famous line and one of the best lines from Seinfeld ever. 
which is when Jerry's trying to beat the lie detector test about whether or not he actually does watch Melrose Place. George gives him the advice as he walks out of Monk's Cafe and he goes, Jerry, don't forget, it's not a lie if you believe it. Right. And I think that's a little what Rick Pitino is going through right now. He's got a, he's having a Costanza moment because, I mean, I think that he could say, yeah, he passed the lie detector test. I, did anyone ask him to take a lie detector test, first of all? I, I don't even know where that came from. But to me, it just seemed a little bit disingenuous because it's just, it just seems impossible for me, Moose, to have someone who has the reputation that he does, which is he is knows everything about his program. And I don't think you can get to a place to be a Rick Patino if you don't know everything about your program. But yet all of a sudden, with two huge scandals that he's had, one with the Katina Powell having the uh, prostitutes in the dorm, and now here with the, with the Adidas money and, and paying uh, recruits to come, I, I just I don't know how you could not know that. And, you know, Patino can say all he wants that he didn't know, and he says, I'm very sorry dot, 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 for hiring those two coaches who did all this bad stuff. Listen, I, I just, he can believe well, it. To believe. Maybe he believes it genuinely. Maybe he's well, tricked himself into believing it. But to me, it just seems disingenuous. Well, but here's the here's the issue that I have overall. Yeah. And, you know, people can, and I've never taken a lie detector test. And, uh, you know, you, you read online. I mean, you can beat them, uh, you know, if you, so, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily look all that much into it, especially if you're in such denial about something. Um, and you mentioned the Costanza line, which is a, a great Seinfeld line. But um, for a guy that's in control of everything, right, that a guy that is uh, in control of his career, he crosses the T's, dot the I's, uh, that, you know, in every aspect of his life, to think that he loses control of the basketball program that he helped revitalize in Louisville to where it's guys that are doing stuff on a rogue nature without his blessing makes no sense. No. I mean, logically, just kind of sitting around, you know, the kitchen table or at a local bar, whatever it might be at work, just thinking about it logically. And we're all, you know, you know some people have, you know, uh, you know, some people get in, some people don't. That doesn't make so much sense. I mean, if you are if you are basically the you know the the face of a program and you have complete and utter control, Maggie, you can't tell me that you don't have an idea of every aspect of what's going on in your basketball program. That's that's the issue. And we know here's the other thing: we know college recruiting, football and basketball is not clean. I mean, it, it's it's not clean i mean you've been around it yep. uh you covered it uh you know you you we've all heard stories and rumors and innuendo uh about what transpires in order to get certain college recruits to go to uh you know particular programs i mean maggie it that is so to to think that you know i've never done this or i've never done that is complete and utter uh, complete utter falsehood. Yeah, and, the, you know, the problem, obviously, is, like, listen, Rick Pitino is going to be fine. You know, his reputation, yes, this is a well, massive his reputation's hit. ruined forever. It is, but basketball-wise, like, he he's solidified, right? He's one of the great college coaches, won multiple national titles, didn't work out in the NBA so much, but I think that we'd all be in agreement that as for as bad as these last two scandals have been, and I guess maybe you can count the third scandal was the affair that he had. And, well, the affair. And then, the, but then he was blackmailed. It was really weird. The prostitutes. Yeah, he's got a couple dorm. bad ones. But let's be honest. If there was a program out there that is struggling, I mean, how many – he didn't do anything as, as nearly as egregious, but, like, you know, other coaches have who have 
had scandals have continued to get jobs, right? I mean, I think there is a lot of college basketball programs that if he doesn't get a show cause penalty, which means that he wouldn't be able to go out and recruit, I think you're going to have college programs that are going to be lining up at the door to to come and give him another chance. Yeah, I and, think it's going to be hard to bring Rick Pitino in. I don't know. Look, You only have to look across the hallway at the football team, and they brought back Bobby Petrino. Yeah, but it was also Jurich, who's now out at Louisville, right? So it was Jurich who decided, tell me the other program that was going to give Bobby Petrino that kind of an opportunity. Nobody. I mean, after yeah. after what transpired in Arkansas, so it was a buddy that he's familiar with, and Jurich realized that Petrino helped raise Louisville, who and Petrino's not a good guy, helped raise Louisville to a national program when he was there. And I, but I think that another athletic director would probably say the thing about Rick Pitino. And I think I, they'd be willing to take the risk because Rick Pitino is a program changer. He is. And the problem is about saying this is, you know, what gets lost in everything is the kids. Like, honestly, I mean, and yes, you're right. I have seen it like up close and personal, especially when I was covering high school sports in this area. I mean, it it's just, it's so dirty and it, it just doesn't, it, I just find it hard, and I'm not sure how you could ever get out of this sort of cycle unless you start giving the athletes themselves very meaningful compensation. Because until you do that, you are always going to have other people, the adults in the room, who are always going to be trying to take advantage of these kids and using money to do it. No question. And so, you know, I think until, like, I've always been in favor. Or you get rid of the one-and-done rule, you could do that. I just think the Olympic model is the way to go. You have to let them get outside sponsorships. You know, I think there's a way that smart people can come up with guidelines where you can have college athletes being compensated when they are perhaps at their most popular. And... To me, I just I feel like that's the the only way. And until that happens, until you can put a little power back into the hands of the player, they are going to be moved around as pawns because they have no power right now. This winter, one out of every four batteries will fail. Get yours tested for free during the Superstar Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. If it needs to be replaced, O'Reilly is the Superstar Battery for you. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Wrap it up, hour number two of the Moose and Maggie show here on this Saturday morning. And coming up straight ahead, we're going to talk a little baseball. NLCS is over, done. The Dodgers march on to the World Series for the first time in a long time. We'll get the thoughts of Nelson Figueroa, uh, pitched on the major leagues for nine years. SNY here in New York covers the Mets day in, day out. Get a sense of the managerial search there. And also, big game tonight, Game 7, American League Championship Series down in Houston, Morton Sabathia, your starters. We'll get the thoughts of Nelson Figueroa. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, hour number three, third and final hour here on this Saturday morning. It is the Moose and Maggie Show. Got a big game, 7 ALCS tonight. Dodgers already stamped themselves as NL pennant winners uh, as they march on to the World Series, which will get it going Tuesday night. Um, out in L.A. Let's welcome board right now. Nelson Figueroa does a fantastic job. SNY pre and post game for Met, for Mets baseball, uh, nine-year MLB veteran as well. Hey, Nelly, good morning, brother. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Doing well, doing well and hanging in there. And uh, we've got a big game seven later on tonight. Uh, Astros and Yankees. It's, you know, it's interesting. You look at it, it's been a, a home series throughout the course for the last uh, six games. I'll ask you, from a Yankee perspective, what needs to change tonight 
for them to win on the road in Houston? Uh, not so much as what needs to change, but what needs to stay the same. CC Sabathia, 10-0 and this year, uh, following up a Yankee loss. I think that's the biggest key is how deep can he go, um, really, when you look at this series. And with all the series in playoff baseball this year, you're looking at you know, starters going in an average of three innings. That's unbelievable to me that in this day and age, you're looking at your starting staff going three innings and then the bullpen having to make up the rest of those outs. Uh, if CC Sabathia can be as on as he was in his last outing and give the Yankees that opportunity to uh, be into the sixth or seventh without having to go to David Robertson and go to Canley and go to get, you know, to those stoppers. And if you don't have to see a six out, outing from, you know, Chapman, then the Yankees have a really good chance. You know, Nelson, pitcher to pitcher, I mean, what are you seeing from CeCe, how he's been able to adjust and change as his career has gone on? Obviously not the flamethrower that we saw when he was winning Cy Young's, uh, but what has changed about him? What do you notice about how differently he's approaching the, you know, games now? He's taking it a lot more personal. I think this is where you see a guy who realizes that in postseason, everything is magnified. What happens throughout 162 games, yes, there's ups and downs, peaks and valleys. But when he is right now at his best and having the game plan for one team, for one opportunity, and to see exactly which guys are on, which guys are not on, and how to get these guys out and how to attack them, Jason Sabathia right now is a man who is taking his craft to another level. All right, how about the Astros starter, Charlie Morton? What you saw in his initial start in Game 3. Had a good regular season. He's always had filthy stuff. Consistency has been an issue at times for him. Uh, Nelly, what, what about what Charlie Morton needs to do tonight against his Yankee lineup? What's driven me crazy about Charlie Morton is how bad he wants to be Roy Halladay. Uh, the mechanics, he, he went as far as, you know, exactly copying Roy Halladay's mechanics. And at that time, uh, you know, two, three years ago, why wouldn't you? Is one of the greatest pitchers in MLB history. Uh, consistency, his, his ability to hide the baseball and throw 96, 97 miles an hour. He has all those things. Um, I think when you look at Charlie Morton out there, he's another guy. It, Plus, plus arm, plus, plus slider. He has the ability to go and attack the strike zone. And uh, the biggest key to getting these Yankee hitters out is your ability to spin the baseball, throwing that breaking ball for strikes and for strikeouts, expanding outside of the strike zone. We're seeing a lot of mistakes happen, you know, over the middle of the plate and up over the middle of the plate. And Yankee hitters don't miss that hanging breaking ball, especially in both those ballparks. You're looking at Yankee Stadium, one of the smallest ballparks in all of baseball. And, of course, Astros. Uh, down there in Minimate is another small, small ballpark where a little bit of a mistake goes a long, long way. We're talking with Nelson Figueroa. Of course, you can watch him do uh, pre- and post-game on SNY, talking about the Mets. He pitched for nine seasons in Major League Baseball. You know, for Morton, I thought it was really interesting, his story. You know, when he was with Toronto, they wanted to move him to the pen. And he basically said, like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready to give it up, you know, in terms of being a starter and sort of, I don't want to say he resurrected his career, but he's proven, obviously, that he is that top-of-the-line, you know, top-rotation starter. He's starting in a Game 7, which is just, you know, all the proof you need there. I mean, Nelson, can you talk about that a little bit, about a pitcher's adjustment in terms of the mindset? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, there there are some guys that you see and you say, hey, you know what, for three to six outs, this guy could be unhittable. 
Then there's other guys that you know can get you through two times through the lineup, three times through the lineup. And in playoff baseball, in the base, you know, a chance to go to the World Series, you're looking for him to go two times through the lineup and be able to put up a zero on the board. If he can do that and he's going to give his Astros team a tremendous opportunity because it's all hands on deck. I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas Keuchel comes out a la Randy Johnson. Remember Randy Johnson threw a complete game shutout yeah. the next night was in the bullpen ready to go. It's all hands on deck. You don't want to leave any stone unturned. You don't want to say what if when it comes to a game seven like this. And I think as long as Charlie Morton can go out there and be as competitive, and I don't mean just, you know, let's see if I can sneak through six innings, but if he can dominate the Yankee lineup, two times through, be able to turn the ball over, and you don't know what Hinch is going to go to. You don't know. It isn't a situation where you say, you know, hey, can this guy give me an in? Can this guy? Everybody will say, give me the ball. I will get you an out. I will get us to the World Series. And I think that's the biggest difference. Nelson, are you a believer in momentum? I mean, the, the Strohs lineup finally came alive last night after being dormant for the most part in three games. Um, in the Bronx. What about the idea of momentum going into a Game 7? Not just momentum, but I think the home field advantage. I really, you've seen it in this postseason. Three straight games at Yankee Stadium where the crowd had something to do with it. Don't talk to me about, you know, pitches were made and, and, and hits were hit. No, no, no. These guys fed off that energy, especially at Yankee Stadium. You saw this crowd come alive, and, and I say it often, the 10th man does matter. We saw the you know, Seattle Seahawks take it to another level with the 12th man, and fans feel like they had an opportunity to make something happen for their team. If Yankee fans didn't realize how big they were, how influential they could be, I mean, even that one Met fan with the thumbs down thing really <laughs> has taken this Yankee lineup to another level. I think the Astros fans as well, it's going to be as loud, it's going to be as crazy as you've ever mm. seen it. And for the Yankees, you got to do something early to shut them up. If Aaron Judge can hit a big, long ball, not in the seventh inning off Peacock or eighth inning off Peacock, but if he can do it early on, a three-run blast, that will put those fans a little bit lower with that look of worry around, and then the Yankees can take advantage of that and pull it out and get themselves to a World Series. Nelson Figueroa is our guest. So who do you got in the game tonight, Nelson? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell you what, man, CeCe Sabathia is the guy you want to have on the mound right now. And that, that to me, is the biggest key. If CeCe is, is as, as dominant as he's been in you know games after a Yankee loss, and that does matter. You always hear these pundits and all these sabermetrics guys that wins don't matter. Well, you know what? I, it matters who's the guy on the mound after a loss. The guy that walks into that clubhouse and says, hey, guys, I got you tonight. I will do my part to keep the other team off the board. And then you know the offense says, we'll scrape, we'll claw, we'll find a way to get a run or two. As soon as you get CC a run or two, and then he gets into cruise control, you know the third time through the lineup has been an issue. That's every pitcher in baseball nowadays. I like the Yankees' bullpen and how they match up going down the stretch. Remember, they used Giles last night. It's been really the Astros starter going to Giles. I like the way the Yankees match up in tonight's matchup. As long as they can get a lead early, you know, that bullpen can lock it down late. You know, Nelson, let's spend a couple minutes here on the Dodgers because they deserve it. Uh, what about what the Dodgers did in the regular season, but specifically, you know, how they've made themselves uh, and how they've acquitted themselves here in the postseason relatively easily, dispatching of Arizona, uh, defeating Chicago in five games, and uh 
really, it, it, there's wonderful stories. I mean, Turner, uh, you, you look at the what the complexion, the way that this team is put together. It, they're a good group. They're a fun group. There's not a lot of stars on the team, but there's certainly big stars on the team. Um, uh, and they're an awful, fu- they're, uh, they're an absolute joy to watch. I mean, you look at a guy like Adrian Gonzalez. He's not even mentioned. You don't even worry about, oh, we don't have Adrian Gonzalez. No one even mentions his name because of what you have with this team. 43-7 and seven over a 50-game span, Moose. That, to me, tells you all you need to know about this Dodger team because it wasn't with everyone healthy. It wasn't with everyone pitching at their best. It wasn't with all the guys that you needed in place to do 43-7 and seven over a 50-game span. This team was built to win in a seven-game series. You expect them to be able to knock out four out of those seven pretty easily, and they did that to the Cubs. It was a sparring match for most it was not a really a fair fight. Uh, the Dodgers and their bullpen, what they can do from the sixth inning on, those starters only having to go five. And when you know that you only have to go five, you can go all out. It's not. It's no longer a marathon and pacing yourself. It's go all out to get there. They're there right now, and we've said it time and time again with them. You know, maybe they peaked too soon. They lost the 15 or 16 straight in a row right there at the end. But really, it was for them, it was as if they went from running outside to running on a treadmill. It was they knew what they had and the pieces that they need in there. And Dave Robinson is, you know, really turning over all the right cards throughout the playoffs. Um, I see him to continue to do that. Uh, very, extremely happy for a guy like Curtis Granderson, who hasn't played a major role, but you know, he is a guy, as Terry Collins would say, at any time gets in the lineup or gets up at the plate is dangerous can be a game changer for someone like him you know kudos that that he was able to do what he has done in a dodge uniform but that lineup is so deep i mean really kike hernandez three home runs in the clinching game who would have saw that coming vegas didn't even have odds on that i'm positive that they didn't have odds on that yeah it's a really great dodgers team yeah that dodgers team right now is as as primed as they can be i don't think a few days off to watch uh, uh, some baseball, they're getting their rotation right. They're getting their bullpen right. They are the team to beat in baseball this year. Okay, so Nelson, we're talking with Nelson Figueroa. In terms of Kershaw, you know, it, with him, regular season pitcher, obviously there he's unmatched. But when it comes to the postseason, it's a little bit of a different story. I feel like he started to reverse that narrative a tiny bit this year, maybe a little bit last year as well. But do you, I guess... How would you be guarding against maybe some of those old demons coming back? I mean, it's obviously the biggest stage that he's ever been on. Um, what do you think Kershaw is going to be able to do in the World Series? And is he going to basically re- totally reconstruct his narrative in the next two weeks? If I got to pick a, a pitcher in baseball, if, I have, if I'm sitting there and say, hey, you know, every game you treat on the game seven, and for Kershaw, you know, he may have two starts. I want Kershaw in there. I don't care what he has done in the past. I don't care. You don't live that way as a pitcher. You live pitch to pitch today. What am I going to bring to the table today? How am I going to get these guys out today? He's had plenty of time to study the next opponent. He's had plenty of time to figure out what exactly works for him. And his stuff plays regardless of who the opponent is. Yes, he's had some bad luck. Yes, he's not come up clutch when it's come down to a all-or-nothing game. I think that's the knock against him. But when, and he's been a guy that for, you know, throughout a season of 162 games, he's been a pace car. He's known how to pace himself. That You know what? Right. If today is an off game, 
I'll be able to write the ship the next two starts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get that luxury here in the World Series and in the playoffs, but I think he finally understands that. When I saw him come out in relief last year, that told me this guy now gets it. He realizes the importance of just him being on the mound and asserting himself in a different way. Uh, it, the stuff, again, plus curveball, plus fastball, plus cutter, all that stuff is going to play. And now that he has taken himself to that, you know what? I got one shot at this, and you know the window of opportunity is so small, he's going to make the most of this opportunity, and I'm excited to see what Clayton Kershaw brings to the table. You know, Nelson, a uh, two-parter for me. Number one, uh, from the managerial perspective, where do you think the Mets are going to go for the next ma- ne- next manager? Number two, how surprised were you that the Nats late, uh, decided to part ways with Dusty Baker after two years? I got to start with the second one first. My goodness. I mean, what more can a man do? Game five of a best of five series. He brings in his ace to kind of shut the door or he thought would be. And, and, and it seems like a great play in that situation. And it doesn't work out um, for Dusty Baker. The team clawed back and clawed back. And again, in the ninth inning, had a chance to put runs on the board. It didn't happen. I can't understand why they would turn away so quickly from Dusty Baker. The problem with the Nationals was never their talent. It was the clubhouse. It was keeping 25 egos intact. It was finding a way to make these egos mesh with each other. And Dusty did a tremendous job of that, without a doubt, when you compare him to Matt Williams. Um, That was a shock to me, really a shock. And I think it's more on Dusty. We heard Terry Collins say, Somewhere in July, he realized, I can't do this anymore. And when Sandy heard that, he realized he needed to look for a new skipper. For Dusty Baker, I feel like when he brought in he brought in a guy like uh, Scherzer, I did all I could. I did everything I could as a manager. It didn't work. And that's really all I can do. Um, I don't know what the Nationals are thinking. I think he was the best man for the job, of course. I don't see him being a good fit. Um, for the Mets. Um, now, moving to the Mets managerial opening, you know, where you rip out the manager, the pitching coach, and really the coaching staff has all been given an option to, you know, interview elsewhere. You're looking at, you know, it's almost like when parents get divorced and the kids have to figure out where we want to go. I think Kevin Long being still there and having the respect of the clubhouse. Is something that's huge right now. I think that really puts him above the others. Um, managerial experience in this day and age, where the front office is doing a lot of the work, really doesn't matter. Um, his in-game, of course, uh, you know, bringing bullpen early enough, doing the moves and things of that nature, that's left to be seen. He's done it at the A-ball level, but I mean, Walt Weiss was hired out of high school. And he was Walt Weiss. It wasn't as if he was an MVP-type player. Uh, I, I think Kevin Long is a guy that the players respect, the players trust. Then you have him as the you have him as the manager. You have Six and Rossler move up to the hitting coach. The players are very comfortable with that move. They're not in a panic mode of having to prove themselves all over again. And I think it makes the transition a little bit easier. Plus, Sandy and long having a relationship already he knows what to expect from the front office they know what to expect from him and i think it it makes it a little bit smoother anybody else right now it's kind of you know you know ripping off a band-aid and saying hey 
let's see what happens and see how it heals. I think Kevin Long is the right man. All right. Nelson Figueroa. Endorsement S-O-Y. from Nelson Figueroa. Appreciate that, Nelson. Hey, Nelly, enjoy game seven it. tonight of the ALCS, and uh, we'll chat again real soon. Nice job, brother. Take care. Take care, Maggie. You see, got Nelson. it. That's Nelson Figueroa. Good to Does talk a good with him. job, and we'll see if Kevin Long ends up being the next Nets, uh, Mets next manager. And he's dead on correct about Dusty Baker. Just makes no sense. He is, but this is my thing about Dusty Baker, right? If if he couldn't get the lock the the clubhouse together, like if all these managers, if the problem is the clubhouse, I mean, which manager then is going to be able to have an effect? Yeah. I mean, I, they've tried all different types of styles, right? Yeah, that's true. You're right. Williams I mean, didn't work, and Baker was brought in. I thought Baker did a nice job. I just wonder, like, does that mean personnel? Does that yeah, mean you have might. to start shuffling guys around? I mean, obviously you have a few that are going to be untouchable, but where is the problem? How many different managers can you go with? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We well, have uh, NFL picks, right? We're going to do those straight ahead as we roll right along here on this Saturday morning. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. It is the Moose and Maggie Show. We're coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. We're going to talk to Richard Dice, SI, coming up uh, about a little less than 15 minutes from now. But uh, without further ado, let's get to some Week 7 NFL picks. All right, let's get to it. Wait, wait, yeah. Anthony. Anthony, yeah. I, I don't, no, I don't so, want to sure. know. Well, yeah, that's you... what I was going to say. Let's oh, get, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I thought you were saying, it. let's get to no, it. No, All right. Well, Maggie, yeah. one, shark, one and shark. two last week, Maggie. So you're six and 12 in the NFL. Moose, oh, and three last week. You're eight and 10. There you go. Okay. All right, very nice. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, uh, I I probably shouldn't be, you know, trying to circle my record, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's not a really good thing. No, it's all right. No. It's, it's no big deal, honestly. I've been a little off. Put it that way. All right, let's get started, though. A little though. bit. But <laughs> a little bit. There's always there's a time always to this rally. Week. <laughs> right. Okay, let's get it started. And you talk about rally, Moose. I'm taking the Dolphins and I'm laying the three against the New York Jets. I feel like, you know, Jets on the road, um, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for Josh McCown to really get any kind of, have any kind of success against this Dolphins defense. I feel like Dolphins are going to be really feasting on what the Jets are doing. And listen, credit to the Jets. And I'm not saying that the, the Jets haven't had a remarkable season to this this point. I didn't think they'd win two games. They've already they've already surpassed that. So I understand that maybe that's a win as we're approaching the midway point of the NFL season if you're a Jets fan. But I feel like the Dolphins may be coming off that big win against Atlanta. The defense is never the issue. Jay Cutler is the issue. But the defense is not. I think they're going to have a field day with the Jets. So give me the Dolphins minus three. All right, Dolphins minus three, pick number one. Uh, Pick number one for me, I will take – I'll take the Seahawks laying the four on the road in New York against the Giants. Giants with an unbelievable performance last Sunday night against the Broncos. Uh, I think Seattle started to figure things out a little bit. It'll be interesting. Seahawks' rush defense not been great. Giants were able to run the ball down Denver's throat. Stop the run. Not a lot of playmakers for the Giants offensively. Shepard should be back at wide receiver. But I'll take the Seahawks. I think they're just better. Lay the four. Pick number one. Okay, pick number two for me. I'm going to take the Titans uh, minus six on the road uh, against the Cleveland Browns. I feel bad sort of picking on the Browns. Um, I know they're going to go back to Deshaun Kaiser this week. I don't think it's really going to matter. Um, I think the Titans, still. I still am holding out hope that they are a good team. So a good team should be able to beat the Browns by a touchdown, even on the road. So yeah. give me the Titans minus six. That's pick two. I'm going to take the Broncos, pick them on the road, L.A. Chargers. Um, 
Denver bounces back. They'll be better this week. Uh, Los Angeles has won two in a row, but I just think the Broncos overall better football team. I think they expected to walk on the field last Sunday night and steamroll the Giants. It just was not going to happen. This is a spread a little bit out of whack. I think overreaction of what we saw last Sunday night. Denver bounces back in a big-time way on the road in Carson, California. Give me the Broncos and a pick them over Los Angeles. Chargers haven't won a game at home. Uh, okay, final pick for me. I'm going to go off the advice of my good friend Aaron Nagler, who this is now getting a second reference on the show today. I asked him, he covers the Packers, and I asked him, what should I do about the Packers and the Saints? He said, take the Saints in every conceivable way. So I will indeed do that, and I will take the Saints, and I will lay the four. You know, my first instinct was actually take the Packers and the points here because the Packers' defense, I feel like, is still legit. But I will go on the advice of my good friend, and I will take the Saints on the road at Lambeau. Final pick. Um. All right, so there you go. That's pick number three. Pick number three for me. Um. I'm going to take the Eagles Monday night at home against the Redskins. I just think they're flat out better. Uh, Philadelphia, lay the five. Uh, Washington's got some issues in terms of health. Uh, they got ravaged in Kansas City. Jonathan Allen, the talented Alabama defensive lineman, uh, who's their first-round draft choice, is out next two or four weeks with a Liz Frank injury. That certainly hurts. Um, and I think the Eagles have been uh, a consistently better team. Redskins tough loss last time we saw them on the road, Kansas City. Uh, but give me, give me Philadelphia. I think Wentz plays well. He's got 13 touchdowns so far through the first six games. He's got weapons to throw to. Schwartz has done a nice job as defensive coordinator, covering up for the deficiencies in the secondary for Philadelphia. I don't think the Redskins' receiving core is good as it was a year ago with the loss of Garcon and Deshaun Jackson. Uh, give me the Eagles laying the five. That's pick number three for me. Okay, so recapping my picks, I'm going to take the Dolphins. I will lay the three. They're home for the Jets. I'll take the Titans on the road, lay the six against Cleveland, and I'll take the Saints on the road off the advice from my friend Aaron, uh, minus four against Green Bay. All right, I'm going to take the Broncos, pick them over Los Angeles, Seahawks laying the four, and the Eagles laying the five. Those are my three selections. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts help you choose. The brakes are exact fit for your vehicle brands. You trust like Brake Best, Wagner, Thermo, Quiet. O'Reilly Auto Parts has the brake parts you need. At guaranteed low prices, O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's hit the guest line. Let's welcome aboard Richard Dice, writer, reporter, SI, covers media, does it all. Good morning, Richard. How are you, bud? Good morning. Good morning. Rich, appreciate you getting up early for us. Thanks so much for doing it. And I'm going to start with an easy question, but I don't know if it has an easy answer. Are the NFL ratings up or down? Because I feel like I'm reading multiple news stories coming out almost every single day that are either making an argument that they're up or making an argument that they're down. What's the truth? Maggie, because we work together, isn't the really more interesting thing that you're not really so thankful that I've woken up this morning? No, you're I was being like, sarcastic because I really wanted you to come on about an hour ago, and you said yeah. you couldn't do it. That I was an inside you. joke between you and me. Yeah. That's a good That's good transparency to the audience, and I appreciate that. <laughs> that is absolutely true. No, no, the audience uh, knows me so well they know when I'm being sarcastic. I think they picked up on that. All right, so in terms of the NFL ratings, it's a good question, and you could really do like five hours on it because – um, so much of it depends on how you want to approach the ratings. And in the case of television networks, as well as people obviously with political agendas, you could spin the ratings how you want. 
The top line is that the NFL ratings are down from 2016. There's no argument about that. They're down about 7% across the board. Um, the always interesting thing about it is the whys, and I'll get to that in a second. If you look at certain weeks, though, and certain windows, and windows are basically like the Sunday Night Football window, the 425 window for Fox or CBS, the Thursday Night Football window, the Monday Night Football window, some of those windows are up. Like, for instance, Thursday Night Football has had some great games, maybe arguably the best games of the year, and CBS and NFL Network, uh, they're up about 5% over last year. So if CBS wants to tell their story, hey, what? how are the NFL ratings? They would be like, hey, we're having a really good year for this particular window. We're up 5%. So it's there's no, like, perfect answer. Um, as a general rule, I would say they are down. And certainly in terms of local ratings, they're down. In, in, most, uh, in most markets, not all markets, but most markets, they dropped um, from last year. But then the larger question, and this is the interesting one, is, like, the why? And I think it's a fa- it's, there are infinite factors um, as to the why, including just how we watch television today, the fact that cable news remains way, way up in a lot of those windows because of the Trump presidency and all the news that, that comes out of there. Um, I think you could obviously at times point to the quality of play in a league, which at times is not great. I think it's a little better this year. And then finally, the inevitability that ratings are going to be down from highs of 2014 and 2015 just because most sports ratings at least have dropped the tick. I'm not one who believes that um, any NFL ratings drop is somehow directly related to Colin Kaepernick or players protesting. Um, I, I agree that there are people out there who don't like it. I think that's certainly a fact. But behaviors are very tough to change, and this would be the sort of the what I always say is, you know, like if you are a Buffalo Bills fan or if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, the idea that you're somehow not going to watch your team because a player is doing something 2,000 miles away just doesn't track. I, I don't think there are large swaths of people who have really decided to walk away from the NFL entirely just because of what is going on with some of the players, a very small minority of the players, politically. So that's that's sort of at least my cliff notes version of what's going on what's your take richard um i saw you tweet about the other night uh, on the job that uh, romo has done year one incredible mark uh, i mean not and by the way i would not have expected it i i would have subscribed to the idea that what is cbs doing bringing this guy into the top spot to give him the highest profile games including sometimes twice a week you know why not put him on like the number four team let him have a year of experience in some lower-level games and smaller markets. And then if you want to put him on to the Nance team, at least he's got a year under his belt. But he's been a revelation to me. I mean, his, um, his ability to diagnose defenses in particular is unbelievable. Um, and obviously because he's so current, he just played with, against some of these defenses. He knows a lot of the tendencies and uh, the players. And he's so good at anticipating play calls given certain situations, it just, to me, like makes the broadcast so much fun. He's also really enthusiastic. I mean, if you watch that Raiders-Chiefs game, just, <laughs> the guy, like, I literally thought the guy was going to jump out of the booth and into the field. He was so excited about those final minutes. That's not fake enthusiasm. I think that's just clearly he just loves football so much. I know there are some people who complain it's too much. You don't want to, you know, you don't want him to give away the play calling. But, I mean, like, relax. 
he's not giving away every play call every time. And you should, as a, to me, as a television viewer, you should be psyched to have a guy who's like able to give you that kind of insight as opposed to, you know, so many other color analysts over the years who just, you know, give you like platitudes and coach speak and, you know, Hey coach, yes, he's such a great guy. <laughs> you know, we went out yesterday and he's, you know, like role is actually like, he's teaching you things about the game. So I can't say enough good things about him. He, this has to, I mean, again, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not old enough to know what it was like in 1961 or something like that, but I, I don't know how this isn't the greatest NFL analyst broadcasting debut ever. I think so, too. I think, actually, he, I was calling it like a magic trick, you know, where he can tell you what the play is going to be before it unfolds. I think he's actually dialing that back a little bit and, and picking his spots a little bit more where he tells you the who and the what when he's actually responsible for the how and the why. And I think that he's been, I think he's actually been, he's actually grown a lot over just the first, as we approach the first half, the midway point rather of the NFL season. We're talking with Richard Deitch, my colleague at Sports Illustrated, a writer, reporter, covers the media. Do not call him a media critic. He will not like that at all. Richard, (laughs) what happens on Monday? Jamel Hill's suspension will be over. What do you think happens? Well, I think she'll come in, and I think she'll do the Sports Center six, and I think ESPN will hope that the news cycle won't be so great. Although certainly online it will be, and a lot of people will tweet about it, write about it, think about it. Um, you know, I think inevitably, and this is what I wrote a week ago. I think the relationship is a bridge too far at this point. I think ultimately, for Jamel Hill, we'll t- we're talking about uh, months left in her ESPN tenure as opposed to years, and she has years left on her contract. Um, management has started to really change that show pretty significantly in terms of uh, bringing in traditional sports center elements. They want uh, they want opinionists who have different opinions than Hill and Smith to come on, which you know sort of makes it more of like an embrace debate kind of thing. And I think you know if they, uh, you know I, I have no doubt that I think ESPN management w- w- is not happy that. Jamel Hill is as um, vocal as she is about politics or social issues, probably the right way to phrase it, on Twitter. And I think if you're Jamel Hill, you look at management and you're like, you know, you hired me to be an opinionist. I've been here a long time. This is what I truly believe in terms of the president of the United States and my experiences as a, um, you know, as a black woman in this country. And you didn't support me when the rubber hit the road. The most important time you uh, one, you sort of like chastised me for my initial comments, and then two, when I talked about not necessarily even saying you must, you should protest these companies. It was more of a nuance. It was more like, hey, if you want to attack Jerry Jones, here's how you attack him. You attack him through his sponsors. Um, and ESPN just basically the second, anytime their business interests might have been, um, you know, I'm maybe compromising the right word, but anytime an employee ever talked about their business interests. That's that's the third rail for them. You know, they litter up for two weeks. So I, I don't see the relationship ever being repaired for the long term. I guess it could be, but I, I don't see it. And I, I would not be surprised, let's say, by we're in October now, you know, January, February, whatever, you, 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 you see a press release out of ESPN to say that we parted ways with Jamel Hill. It's a mutual decision. We thank her for her time at ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Richard, what about ESPN's relationship now with Barstool Sports? It's a good question, Mark. Um, if you've noticed, they're trying to thread the line. It's an interesting line that they're trying to thread. What they're saying is we're in business with PFT commenter Dan Katz and the very, very popular Part in My Take podcast show. But Barstool is Barstool. We don't control their content. 
We don't necessarily endorse their content. We're in business with the, this particular group. So that's how they're going to spin it, and that's how they're going to push it. And the reason, of course, Mark and Maggie, they're doing this relationship is they desperately want 18 to 35, the 18 to 35-year-old market that Barstool has. ESPN right now is not a cool brand. They've been in the media, uh, or they've been, they've been in the news, generally speaking, for uh, not positive things. So they really would like to you know, try to make themselves like they were in the 90s again. That's not going to happen, but that's the management's goal. Barstool provides this very loyal audience. It's a 1 o'clock show. It's so a very low risk. And so, you know, they're hoping that they can make this show work at a very untraditional time. But the thread line is very tough here because, to me, you know, you're, you're trying to sort of step away from, from, from the worst of Barstool, and certainly in the past, misogyny, misogynistic comments, um, attacks on, on fellow ESPNers. Uh, so that's the sell that management's doing is that, you know, we're in business with these three people who have just mostly been apolitical about ESPN, but we're not in business per se with the larger Barstool brand. Of course, they are in business with the Barstool brand. And so you wonder eventually how that uh, is going to work out. I, I do think Barstool is a different brand in 2017 than they were in 2011. I think they're more professionalized. I don't think they go down the same uh, awful roads as they have been in the, uh, as they sometimes were in the past. But, you know, the fact is they, they are a brand that is very non-PC. They're going to say what they want. It's one of the reasons why all these 20-year-old men, in particular 25-year-old men, really, really like them. And so that's very countered to ESPN and Disney, as both of you guys know in the media, where, you know, we just as we just saw with Jamel Hill and others, if you step across a certain line, they're going to suspend you. So it's you know, inevitably, it's there. There, there are different POVs and DNAs here between Barstool and ESPN. The question will be, I think, the way I see it is, how much will ESPN management be willing to deal with many of their employees, and particularly many of their women employees, not happy with this relationship? Richard Deitch. Well, they have every right not to be happy with some of the things that uh, some of the guys that work for Barstool have said in the past. I mean, what they said about Sam Ponder was disgusting. Right, well, it's way over the line uh, what Dave Portnoy said about Sam Ponder at that time. Um, I'm with you on that. She's got every right to be um, ticked off. Uh, but, you know, it's – I don't want to be a hypocrite here. You know, there are things that the brand that Maggie and I work for, Sports Illustrated, that people are not going to like and, and people will and, – and in my opinion, have the right to criticize us if they're not happy with. No, no, but it's you, one thing to criticize. You know, it, it's another thing to take it to the personal level that they did at one point in time. That That's I, that that's okay. the issue. And you flip on the radio and the product that they put out, Richard, it, it really hasn't changed all that much. I mean, if you, I say, if you flip on their product on the radio side, I mean, the, the Barstool stuff is the Barstool stuff. Agreed. Listen, I, 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 you know, I don't listen to Barstool Radio a lot, I must confess and be honest. But the specific attack on Sam Ponder was way, way over the top. And, and she has every right to be pissed off. And ESPN, you know, if they're a decent company, should defend her. The, the interesting story in all this is that the PFT group doesn't right. do that. They're, they're essentially a very funny football mocking show. But... The reality is they get a check from Barstool. So I, I think ESPN is being hypocritical and trying to thread that line. They should either own the relationship whole and say, hey, we're in a desperate situation. We need 18 to 35 and say we're in business or then don't go in business. Sure. I, I do think the thread 
the thread that they're trying to do is 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 a little weak. He, but again, I don't want to be a hypocrite. At the same time, there are 30 ESPN employees at least who've been on that podcast who would make the same argument. And I've been a guest on that podcast. Yeah, gotcha. and I'm sure, and I'm sure, some, I'm sure in some way, you know, when Barstool does something I don't like, I I, I might make the same argument in that hey, I don't I don't see these PMT guys as the exact same thing as. Richard, it's, we're, it's we're, an interesting story. We get, we're, we're flying, flying out, of out of time. time. We Thanks do for this coming again. on, Rich. This is why you should do it earlier. We'd yeah. have more time. You Richard Dice from Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Moose, Maggie, we'll see you next Saturday morning. We love you. We're back on CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.